to be honest, there was practically no one I could talk about money with until I joined this community in an active way. Um, the like online personal finance community. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan. And mamas, today on the show, our episode is going to look a little different. Instead of one guest, we have three. We'll be talking to some of my favorite online money friends, Stephanie from Poorer Than You, Angela from Tread Lightly, Retire Early, and Julie from Millennial Boss. All three of these ladies have slightly different focuses on their blogs, but each of them has been incredible about supporting others and building true community. So together, we're going to dive into where our early money stories came from, our experiences with money as we became adults and then as we became moms, and how you can find a positive support network to reach your goals, even if you don't have the best influences in your life today. Stick around until the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this fun chat with Julie, Angela, and Stephanie. You can also get the details and download our free Healthy Money Mantras worksheets at smartmoneymamas.com backslash three. Ready, mamas? Let's get started. Stephanie, Julie, and Angela, thanks so much for being here, guys. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. So to kind of set the stage, I'm going to have you all introduce yourselves uh, so people can kind of hear your voices and, and tie it together. Julie, you want to start? Sure. So hi, everyone. I'm Julie Berninger. I'm a 30-year-old new mom living in Seattle, Washington. By day, I'm a tech professional, and at night, I'm an Etsy seller and podcast host. But I'm currently on maternity leave and loving it. Maternity leave is the best. <laughs> Stephanie? Hi, I'm Stephanie, or you may know me on the internet as Stephoni, but don't worry about it. Um, usually, that's just to distinguish me from other Stephanies, and somehow, with four people on this call, we don't have any other Stephanies, so it's fine. But uh, I'm a blogger, and also, in my day job, a museum technician, and a mom of a three-year-old, and... My blog is poorerthanyou.com, so I come at things from kind of the low-income angle. That's awesome. And Angela? Hi, I'm Angela, and I blog over at Tread Lightly, Retire Early. Um, and during the day, I work for a green builder, so sustainable, affordable construction. And um, then by night, afternoon, whenever, on the from phone, your generally, phone. Yeah. generally from my phone, <laughs> um, I blog over at Tread Lightly, Retire Early, and then um, I run the Women's Personal Finance Facebook group, and Stephanie is actually one of my admins. Oh, yeah, um, I do that, too. Yeah, you do do that, too. <laughs> and then probably by the time this comes out, I have a five-year-old son, and we live in the Seattle area. Who's hanging out with you right now, so we might get yeah, to hear him. Yeah, he is. It's a snow day. We were just in Iceland for two weeks, and yesterday was supposed to be my first day back in the office, and today is day two of snow days. So <laughs> We've already had five this year, and I, I honestly don't know how parents who don't have somebody at home or someone with a flexible schedule can handle it. Yeah. Yeah. We're actually in my office today, but that's because my husband has a big four wheel drive truck and then, you know, still had to bring the kid with me and try and juggle work and him and now podcast the same day. Usually this is a great day where he would be at preschool and my work day would be done and it would be a perfect quiet time. But as you all know, yeah, being a mom and trying to do more than one thing or even just one thing there's usually some kind of kink happens every time 
Every single time. So this month, we're talking about mindset here on the Smart Money Mama show. And one of the things that I think is most important is community and having people around you who can support your journey and reinforce that life can be better, right? And I've invited you guys all on because I love all of you, but also because I've seen you create really cool communities and interact with people around the web. So I want to know first, where did your money journey start? What did your money community look like when you were younger? um, And what influences did you have in your life? Julie, you want to kick us off? Sure. So I started my life living in a triple decker in Boston and a Boston triple decker is like a series of apartments that are stacked on top of each other. Then at a certain point, my parents decided that the Boston school system wasn't what they wanted me to have. So we moved to a more affluent suburb where we suddenly became, I would say, maybe the slightly lower income family on the block. So I grew up kind of with a financial keeping up with the Joneses mentality almost all the time. Now it benefited me in some way because my parents somehow managed to put me through gymnastics and dance and all these extracurriculars that the other parents were doing. So I I totally benefited from this environment, but I think mentally it put me in a pretty rough spot starting out in my twenties. And I felt like I was always trying to catch up with other people. That's tough uh, to have that as an influence. Did it stress your parents out money-wise? Did you see uh, stress with them trying to keep you in those activities? Absolutely. Always felt the stress from them. And I think they tried to shield my sister and I from it, but it became very difficult. Now, the good thing is that they kept on, they kept that apartment in Boston for a little bit through my early childhood, but then they ultimately sold it. And that is a huge point of financial regret for them that they always look back on because I think it became too difficult for them to have two kids and manage a rental property at the same time. And they sold it at a down point. Whereas 20 years now, if they had kept that apartment in Boston, they would have been golden. But I remember particularly around the time that they were making the decision to sell it, always being stressed about money. I remember going to school and my dad asking us if we were okay because I think we had heard them kind of bickering about money the night before. So I would definitely say it has made me want to be interested in money and make sure I always have financial security because I don't want to put my own children through what I might have seen when I was younger. So I grew up in a rural area and I had a family that was very loving but financially challenged, we'll say. (laughs) And so I... Didn't get a lot of good money examples from my parents, but I did get a really great example from them in that they were serial entrepreneurs. They were always side hustling, not that that was a term in the 90s, but that's what they were doing. And so I started my first business when I was six years old, sort of in their example. I started my own newspaper and I ran that on and off releasing issues until I was 13. But I never had the influence to save the money that I made from doing any of these side hustle type things. And so eventually I really kind of developed sort of a, a jealousy of money, I think, um, of always wanting to get rich and to thinking that the way to get rich was either to win the lottery or to become famous. I didn't see like things like getting a good job and saving it like that didn't strike me as how you got money but like instead that it was just something that was going to come to you in one big lump sum at some point and when I was 18 I must have read about Warren Buffett or something because I got it in my head like there are middle-aged guys who have gotten rich just through investing and I bet I could do that too I'm only 18 right now If I just learn it now, there's enough time for compound interest to do most of the work and I could be rich like in that way. So I got a book. I got The Motley Fool's Investment Guide for Teens and read it and 
then dropped out of school. Um, (laughs) There were a few steps in between that. But basically, I was in film school and I was living on student loans and also credit card debt to make it through film school. And then I hit a student loan cap and realized, like, I'm already bridging the gap with credit cards and now I'm going to get even less in aid. So I have to drop out. So I dropped out and started a blog. And how did that feel with the being interested in investing, right? When you finally figured out like a way you could get wealthy and then to have to make this decision to go backwards for for a little while. Oh, that hurts so bad because there was about a year and a half between reading that book and when I dropped out. And I spent that year and a half like trying to figure out how I could get the first $3,000 for a Vanguard Vanguard index fund. (laughs) Like I was, yay. Like that's the takeaway I got from the book was like, oh, you know, if I start with a Vanguard index fund, like that's a very sort of, I never want to say safe, but that's a very sort of structured way to build this wealth that I have decided I want to build through investing. And that's what I was working toward. And or what I wanted to be working toward, but instead I was working backwards. I was racking up credit card debt and saving nothing. And so it kind of hurt to have this goal in mind that I was working against and then ultimately to have to drop out and sort of start from less than zero because I still had all the student loans I had taken out and I had the credit card debt and my school was hounding me for $600 for housing that they said I owed them. And yeah, and I was home with no job and no way to make that money in, in a Rust Belt city that was not doing so well. I'm curious. I want to hear Angela's story, but I definitely want to ask, too, what was your parents' reaction when you moved back in? And the, did, they, did they know about your desire to start investing and build wealth? Did you have conversations about money? We didn't have a whole lot of conversations about money. I'm sure they knew that I had read that book, but we really didn't talk about it. My parents were very helpful uh, when I dropped out, you know, I basically called and I was like, is it okay if I come home? And they were like, yeah, of course you can come home. Like that's, they didn't even ask why. I mean, eventually they did, but you know, they, like it wasn't like, why do you want to come home? It was just like, yeah, you can come home if you need to and we'll, we'll work it out. But it was kind of a tough time for my mom financially at the time that I dropped out. Like, for example, we didn't have a working furnace and we hadn't had a working furnace for like seven years. And so when I got home, one of the first things I did was put wood in the fireplace because it's how we were heating the house. Like I came home and a lot of what I did was things like helping her sell a bunch of furniture and stuff on Craigslist to try and sort of make up for the fact that she was already in a tight situation and now I was kind of home using utilities and stuff. So what money I did get like went toward my credit card debt, but also toward buying groceries for the house that I was now living in. Um, But they were very supportive, even if it was maybe a bit of a struggle for everybody. It's great to have that support, even if, you know, it didn't feel like necessarily a completely secure situation for them or for you. Um, Right. It's always good to have that support. Angela, what about you? So coming after the two of you, it feels a little odd to say that my money story started really stable and secure and um, early. Well, somebody's had to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I grew up in a household that was always pretty frugal, but money stress was never um, a concern growing up. Both of my parents came from families where there were money stressors, but by the time 
us kids came along, they were in a really good place. Um, my dad owns his own business and my mom has built her own business as well. And so I think all of you know, but for everyone who's listening, uh, she's a parenting author. And so she's worked from home my entire life. So there was the stability of not just having two incomes, but having two incomes where one parent stayed and worked from home. And then my grandmother lived with my family too. So outside of just like money stability, our household was just generally really stable and secure. And so that really helped. But my dad early on very much worked with all of us kids to uh, have a pretty stable money picture of what things were going on. One of my earliest money memories was when I was eight or 10 years old, I wanted a bunk bed in my room. And um, my parents said that I could have one, but that I would have to raise half of the money. So as long as I could pay for half of it, they would cover the other half. And so that meant stuffing envelopes for my mom's mailers for her job, cleaning the cabinets, you know, weeding the garden. And basically I had to earn half of the money for the bunk bed, which it seems like, you know, a bunk bed is a thing that you would just, you know, buy your kid. But um, early on, other than the basics, generally we had to earn our way through any additional stuff. So and a bunk I think bed that feels really that way. Too. A bunk bed feels that way unless you already have a bed, right? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Well, and I, I had a perfectly fine bed, and um, but I wanted to have a bunk bed for when I had friends over. So it was a completely superfluous thing. And so that meant I had to save money to get it. Gotcha. Yeah. So I also came from a more stable background. Um, and my parents had, you know, they didn't have a lot of money when I was younger. Uh, but by the time I was old enough to really have memories about it, they did. The thing was, um, my dad loved to spend outside his means and definitely idolized people he perceived to have a lot of money, which tied into me developing this mindset that like to be worthy of respect and what and love and whatever, you had to amass a lot of money. And this kind of triggered this compulsive saver thing in me where any money I made or any money I got had to be saved. It couldn't be spent on anything, nothing that I even things that I wanted or needed. It just had to be saved. And that took a long time to kind of build out of. And when I touch on like Stephanie saying like her view of wealth coming is like just comes in one big lump sum. We all get these ideas about money from our parents. So I'm curious for Julie and Angela, what were those ideas? Like what did you when you became an adult and moved out of the house? How did you feel about money and how is that related to how your parents treated it? I can relate a little bit to what Stephanie said, where it seemed like people that were rich or wealthy, it happened to them almost out of luck in some ways. And there was a little bit of misconnection of like how you get there. But that being said, my parents, they tried extremely hard and they didn't have the internet. They didn't have all of these options and knowledge that we have at our fingertips today. So they picked up whatever they could from other people. And it seems like education was the path to wealth. So I ended up studying very hard. And my dad used to like hit that into me every weekend. He would pop quiz SAT questions for hours. Like it was intense, but ended up doing really well and got into a top college, which did work. And it allowed me to get a good job and all of that. But I took on a lot of student loan debt. And now I see that it wasn't the only path to success, but that's kind of like what they held on to. And it took me a really long time to break away from the fact that like education is not necessarily going to guarantee a good job. Prestige can help only so much. All these other factors are what actually will make you wealthy. 
it's interesting because I kind of grew up with the same mentality of, well, I'm going to college. That's just kind of the expected. And, you know, you go to college and you get a good job and that's where you make your money. The interesting part about that is that neither of my parents graduated from college. They both um, went partially through a, through a degree, but um, neither of them graduated. And that was not where they earned their money. And I watched them, you know, earn a good salary and, you know, grow businesses on their own. But for some reason, that was never something that I considered for me. My my idea was always to go to college and, you know, get the degree and then, you know, work my way up through a job that way, which is kind of more the way I've gone. But it's interesting because I grew up with a family with entrepreneurship as like the core tenant of how our life situation went. It sounds like everybody had some entrepreneurship in their houses, right? Julie's parents with the real estate, Stephanie. Stephanie, what did your parents do? You said they were serial entrepreneurs. Okay, so when I was really little, my parents ran a what's called a BBS. It's a bulletin board system. It's the early internet. They were system operators, sysops for that. And then my mom had a computer consulting business when I was little, like and again, this would have been like 1994, 1995. So co- consulting meant like, I'll teach you how to use this new program, Microsoft Word. And then my parents had an, a custom embroidery business in our home. So a custom embroidery machine and it would embroider things for people. And then they had two hot dog carts uh, for my teenage <laughs> years. So that was my, you know, my first business was the newspaper, but my first job was working for my parents on the hot dog carts. So... Yeah. How sick of you were you of hot dogs? I didn't like hot dogs in the first place, at least not that kind, um, like the beef kind. Like I only like like turkey and chicken hot dogs. So, but thankfully we also served like hamburgers and Italian sausage, and so like I just ate anything but the hot dogs. That's so funny. My dad, um, of all things, very different, uh, wrote software to price mutual funds. Oh, nice. <laughs> so when we talk about all the investing stuff and my interest in investing from a young age, he would talk about mutual fund fees and load fees from when I was like you know eight. <laughs> <laughs> and explain like how you got killed by fees and how all these because mostly it was for um, life insurance providers like big companies that offer offer nav funds and he would just like praise Vanguard all the time it just didn't tie into his own views of saving which was interesting but <laughs> it's always interesting when there's that disconnect because you hear about like financial planners who their home finances are a disaster and and things like that where it just somehow there's a disconnect between what you're doing at work or what you're thinking at work. And then just like, it doesn't come home with you. It's the same, right? In all professions, right? Mm-hmm. It's like doctors being the worst patients and lawyers just not following any of the rules. So I'm curious. So now all of us are personal finance bloggers. So somehow we got sucked down the, the rabbit hole of being personal finance nerds. And I'm curious what brought everybody there, right? Like, I think we all had slightly different paths. Stephanie, you said you started when you got home after dropping out of school. Yeah, pretty much like the next day, like I got home and then I was like, I guess I'm going to start a blog. (laughs) Um, But I had been reading personal finance blogs for a few months before that, because when I was kind of whining about my money situation on Facebook, as you do, a friend of mine sent me a link to Ramit Sadie's I Will Teach You To Be Rich blog, which was just a blog at that time. And I just sucked it right up and started reading every blog that I could. But this was 2006. And at that time, I was like, this is great. There's so much here, but there's nobody like me in almost any way. Like these are almost all 
Most of the bloggers at that time were around 30 years old and male, and a lot of them were in like software design positions and things like that. So there were a few female bloggers. Um, they were mostly blogging about paying off a lot of debt, but everybody seemed older than me and established in their careers and sort of this like, I'm a young woman who's in a rural area with no job. None of this looks like me. I guess I have to start my own. Which is a great way to take it, right? Knowing that there's other people out there that do look like you and need help. And and also super glad that there's so many more f- women bloggers now. All oh, yes. Us and hundreds of other ones. <laughs> Angela, why'd you start your blog? I don't actually know that story. Okay, so I actually, so I like how Stephanie talks about how she read blogs for a couple of months and then started hers. I read blogs for like seven years before I started mine. So I was a lurker for a very, very long time. Um, I first found Punch Debt in the Face and One Frugal Girl and Newlyweds on a Budget back in 2010 when I was paying off my student loans. The awesome bit is that One Frugal Girl is still blogging and I got to meet her at FinCon and that was like totally cool and um, one of the few people I've totally been a fangirl for, but... Yeah, so I started reading them back in 2010 and then stumbled down the rabbit hole of Mr. Money Mustache and financial independence and all of that and read a ton. And I was really focused about paying off my student loans and paid those off pretty rapidly on a low salary. But then once they were paid off, my next goal was to save a chunk of money before I had a kid. And then after I did that and after I had my son, we kind of just floated for a few years. Um, and then I was just really overwhelmed with having a new baby and trying to work full time and trying to bounce around. We had part time childcare from family, but otherwise I was watching my son and then working during nap time and after bedtime and all of that. So basically I had like zero hours to myself, but then once he turned a year old, Hunter, you need to be quiet. Once he turned a year old, we put him into preschool so that I could get work done. <laughs> which is Everybody, funny. Angela's yelling over her shoulder at Hunter right now. <laughs> yes. So who should be at preschool right now? Um, but I put him in preschool part time and then we still had family care part time. And at the same time, I cut my hours back at work to 80 percent. So suddenly I had a whole lot more time and bandwidth in my life that I hadn't had for a long time. And I just kind of looked up and started looking at my finances and realized like as much as I'd been reading and absorbing, I wasn't really implementing it in my own life. To start with, I really looked at our food spending, which was like completely out of control and really started to, you know, grab onto that and reduce that spending. But part of that was, I was like, all right, I need to do something different. Clearly just reading about this is not good enough. It's not making the changes that I feel like we need to do. We've, we, we were doing fine. Like we could pay our bills every month and we had a little bit of savings, but um, we didn't have as much to show for it as I felt like we should have, especially considering how well I did when I was paying off my student loans. So To start with, the blog really was about creating accountability for myself. Yeah, it was really about having the accountability of sharing my finances and sharing my spending and tracking all of that publicly online so that I would have incentive to do better. That loss of a goal when you've been paying off debt puts so many people in this like 
floating out in space, right? They don't know what to do and then they kind of lose track of their spending and where their money's going. But you and Stephanie are making me feel silly because I literally never read a single personal finance blog before I started mine. Not one, not one post. <laughs> I think that's actually, I'm finding that that's more common or it's just like you read a few and then all of a sudden you're like, I'm going to blog too. Whereas, yeah, I, I read them. The for seven a, years is a slog. I was, I was a super lurker and I did not comment on a single post during those seven what, years. How is, that, how is that possible? I don't know. <laughs> She's having conversations in her own mind. Basically, I was a complete lurker. I was basically reading these like they were like books or diaries without really... I mean, and I would read the comments too. And I remember, I think there was this guy named Larry who would regularly comment on Punched Punch in the Face, who was clearly not a blogger, but they, you know, had created like a rapport of talking back and forth in the comments. And yet... It never like crossed my brain that maybe I should also comment or, you know, get more involved. It was really just, um, I guess, a form of entertainment and education, but it was a very passive way of looking at things. I don't. This is a reminder for all the lurkers to comment. We do actually want to hear from you. (laughs) Yes, please. Which is why I get so excited when like non bloggers comment, especially because I know that I was there for such a long time. And for whatever reason, I just couldn't get over the hump of, you know, sharing my own thoughts back. So then it was uh, Retire by 40 wrote one of the, you know, why you should start a blog posts. And for some reason, that one clicked in my brain. I was like, huh, maybe I should start a blog. And, and Tread Lightly Retire Early was born. I know. Yeah. Which is why the name doesn't quite jive with my personal goals of financial independence and not early retirement. It just kind of popped in my head as something that sounded good. And I went with it without really thinking about the fact that, you know, early retirement was not on the forefront of my brain. But Julie, early retirement was on the forefront of your brain. It definitely was. But I actually am a serial blogger. So my first blog, I started in 2011, and it was about study abroad. And then I ended that blog and I had a blog about travel rewards. And then I started millennialboss.com, which is my third blog, a personal finance blog. And it started out as a student loan payoff journey. But once that goal was completed, I hit what we just talked about where you don't really know what's next. And that's when I found the early retirement community. And Millennial Boss has since become financial independence and lifestyle focused. That's awesome. I want to tie back to Angela was saying how she wanted to get more financial stability before she had kids. And I want to talk a little bit about how we think about parenthood and money, right? So for me, I knew that I didn't want to do the career I was in forever, right? I was at a hedge fund. The hours were crazy. There was no fulfillment for like actual societal impact. Um, But I knew that the money gave me options, right? So I stayed there for a while until I had kids. And then I was like, this isn't worth it for me right now. This is not a good example to set for them. This isn't good for my mental health. And I made a change. And we hear this a lot where people make a shift right around when they have kids. So Julie and Stephanie, what was your, what was your experience preparing to become a parent? And then how has your relationship with money changed afterwards? So we spent a lot of time before becoming parents, like trying to figure out what it meant to be financially stable enough to become parents. And I wish I had like a cool ending to this, like, and then we figured out that if you have X, Y, Z, you're ready. No, we got an unplanned pregnancy and got thrown into it. So, but we were trying and we were trying to answer that question. And there's a lot of unknowns that we just couldn't answer. 
Our big unknown was that we were technically freelancers at that time, that we were trying to figure all this out. So we were on an uh, Affordable Care Act, an ACA, Obamacare marketplace plan for health insurance and trying to figure out how much a birth was going to cost on that health insurance plan. I could not, for the life of me, figure out this one thing. And that's just one aspect of parenthood. Like, how much is it going to cost to get the baby in my hands? Can't figure it out. Great. We can't figure out step zero as far as the money goes. So, you know, we were really trying to work toward being stable and being ready financially. And we were saving money for it, um, mostly in an HSA because we're like, well, this is probably going to cost a lot. So, you know, we were saving up money for health costs, most of all. But yeah, though, we just kind of got thrown into it. And it actually was really good because nothing lit a fire under the two of us like, oops, we're pregnant. This is happening Let's get it together. And we just went from there and then had like our best year ever for net worth growth. The year that uh, the first year of our son's life, like I was out on maternity leave or working very part time for most of the year. And yet still we got it together. Um, A lot of that might have been because like we didn't go anywhere, do anything. We just had a newborn and we're at home all the time. Um, But it really did. There's nothing that motivated us the same way that just, oops, we're pregnant. It's happening. Go. And Julie, you're in the thick of it, right? Oh, yes. Yep. So I am on month five of maternity leave because my employer gives a very generous policy. And now I may have three additional months through the state. So this is this has Whoa. been something that's, yeah, it's really nice. I'm very grateful for that. But This is something that I kind of work towards. So early in my 20s, I found this book, The Defining Decade, Why Your 20s Matter and How to Make the Most of Them by Dr. Meg Jay. And basically, it goes against the advice that people give you to have fun in your 20s and to kind of experiment and adventure. She will give you a hard reality slap in her opinion, which is get serious because the life that you want in your 30s, you build it in your 20s. Now, I hope I'm not giving anyone listening a like breakdown, but I was lucky to (laughs) discover this philosophy and it really resonated with me early on. So I took a lot of career bumps and things very like took it very seriously in my 20s so I could get to the point that when we had a kid and I'm 30 and my husband's 33 we were at a point where our jobs were very stable and we had been working in these jobs for a few years so we had some sort of seniority built up I had started with the company two years prior so I had some kind of respect it wasn't like I was worried about having to rebuild I built a platform that I could use when I come back And also, we had been side hustling, both of us, for a while. So my husband, he is a super side hustler, just like me. And I think a third of our income last year were were actually side hustles on top of our day job. So I have to admit that as much as I love my career, it made me feel better going into this period of my life that if we just decide that we don't want to go back to work, we're fine. We have been saving for a lot of years. We have good resumes that we could walk back to. And then also we have a little bit of money coming in on the side that we could use to grow into something bigger. So I feel like I kind of was hedging all of my bets at the expense of my own health, happiness and fun in my 20s. But that's that's how we honestly planned it. So I didn't read that book, but I feel like I kind of did similar in my 20s, at least the first half of my 20s. I, you know, got pregnant with my son at 26 um, so still definitely in my twenties. Yeah. Woo-hoo. It's, it's an odd place to be, especially when you're realizing that you're like, I'm 
planning to do this. And, you know, looking back, you know, five years later, I don't know how 26 year old me thought I was old enough to have a kid, but, um, (laughs) I definitely did the front loading of things in my twenties. Um, I also got married at 21 and we bought our house at 23. So just early on, um, we were just really focused on adulting basically. Um, and hitting my thirties felt like I finally made it. I finally made my age that I feel like I've been for the last decade. So, um, for me, it wasn't so much about giving up fun as much as where I wanted to be in my, you know, early to mid twenties was really hustling at work and focusing on setting up our life. But in some ways it's actually made it harder in my early thirties because I had all these big goals you know, five-year plans of, you know, have the house, have the, you know, graduate degree, have the kid, have the stable career and all of that. Um, And then realizing that, you know, looking up and, you know, I'm 32 now and my life is in theory not going to look terribly different than it will at 42. And so it's taken me a couple, the last couple of years I've really been trying to work through the fact that my big goals are more about living now, you know, preparing for down the line too, but really trying to like sit in this period of life. And that's kind of been a hard transition for me of not having, you know, the 30 item checklist before I get pregnant that I need to check off because I have my kid now. So I, I, I don't have that checklist anymore. So it's it's been a really weird transition. And in a lot of ways, the blog's really helped with that because I've been able to, you know, really put down and share my thoughts and really work through the, you know, sitting in the 30s period of life. Mamas, Julie, Angela, Stephanie, and I have more to share about money and career goals after having kids and finding community. But before we do that, I want to take a quick break to thank our amazing sponsor who helped make this show possible. Today's podcast is brought to you by Debt.com. One of my favorite things about Debt.com is that they remove the embarrassment around getting out of debt. If you're feeling overwhelmed by monthly payments or balances, but don't know who to turn to, Debt.com can match you with the perfect, trustworthy debt solution provider to help you create a debt freedom plan and build a strong financial foundation. You can learn more by visiting smartmoneymamas.com backslash debt or by calling their free support line at 844-462-8280 to discuss solutions for your unique situation. That number again is 844-462-8280. Debt.com for when life happens. It's similar to that kind of loss of a sense of purpose when you finish a debt journey, you finish a big goal, right? For people who were super high achiever hustlers in their 20s, you at some point have to slow down, right? So for Angela and I, I think both graduated from college a year early. I worked crazy hours up until I had kids with this goal of like, I was going to retire by 35. I was going to, you know, not fully retire, but, you know, go be an entrepreneur, do something else. And that's not what's going to happen now. Like I I chose to make a shift that's going to slow us down. And like you said, live in this period of my life and, and enjoy it. But there are days where that's really hard, right? To like let myself slow down. Anybody else feel that? Yes, I feel I, that a lot. <laughs> I'm having like an identity crisis, honestly, because it it probably sounded like I was very focused and ambitious and kind of had it all figured out when I was younger, which I 
had discovered that path. And now I don't know who I am anymore because I'm not someone that can go on a Saturday to a coffee shop and bang out five hours of work. I don't have that lecture anymore. I have like 25 minutes with my baby kind of half crying in my arms at the same time and like being exhausted and also being like in a terrible mood. And it's like a totally different thing. So I'm accepting right now, like my new reality and I still have goals and everything, but I can't be this hard on myself if I'm just going to move like a lot slower than I used to. I think I'm chronically incapable of accepting that I need to slow down. I remember I went, yeah, I went to FinCon and people would be like, oh, what do you do? And I mean, you heard at the beginning, I forgot like a major thing that I do that was kind of the reason I was asked on this podcast is like, oh, my bio, let me list out the 80 million things I do uh, before you walk away. But, you know, the number one response I got from people at FinCon was like, wow, you do a lot. And I was like, Oh, yeah, (laughs) I am just, you know, clinically incapable of slowing down even when I should. And so I do struggle with that. And I struggle with kind of being, yeah, in sort of a, a repetitive period in my life where it's like, Oh, it's just another year of trying to max out these tax advantaged accounts. And, um, yep, not, not much else going on. How have you guys used your communities? Obviously, we've all built relationships online, like the four of us and other people. How have you used other people to make sure that you are working towards the things that are important to you and giving yourself permission to slow down when you need to? So the slowing down, <laughs> I've Stephanie and I are twins in a lot of ways. And that one, absolutely. Even when my son was a newborn and a toddler, I was also working a second job as a park ranger and took him with me um, until, and I probably did that about a year too long until I could finally let it go. My husband had been telling me from like day one, like, it's probably time to just walk away. I was like, but I can't, I'm doing this also. So, and then of course, you know, I still continue to backfill with other stuff. So I'm not very good at slowing down yet. I'm still working on it. Um, Having a kid in some ways forces you to slow down. And then in some ways it makes you be hyper good at getting things done in the snippets of time you have. Um, But when you want to talk about community and helping with that, honestly, having um, a purple life and her like weekly accountability stuff really got me one of my goals this last year was to have a couple of weeks ahead on my blog, which seems backwards from slowing down, but having those extra weeks of Monday posts ready to go got me to actually take a break this past holiday season. It made me feel like I could take a step back because I had these new posts ready to go out when I stepped back. I was, I'd been concerned that if I skipped a week, then it would be easy to skip two and three and four. And so by having those extra posts ready to go, I uh, felt like I could actually take a break. And that was completely because of A Purple Life and her her weekly accountability, you know, thread of making sure that I was actually staying on task. Yeah. For those who are listening, Purple Life is another blogger who offers to be the accountability drill sergeant, for lack of a better word, for anyone who wants something to follow up on. And Angela is actually still, I think, getting accountability about filling out her emergency binder. So we're just going to throw that in there. (laughs) Hey, we now have a separate group on Facebook with like, Stephanie, what we have like 45, 50 women that are. Yeah, something close to that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's happening. 
but I've also been gone. And so I'm getting my life back together and in the snow, but yes, that is on the list. It has been, that's a perfect example. It is because otherwise I would completely ignore it. But because of her badgering, we now have a, a group of 50 women who are also, you know, filling it out. So I kind of have to now. Yeah, she badgered us, and then uh, Airman Mildollar, who is our third admin on the women's group, just finally one day was like, we're starting it, we're doing it. And Angela and I were like, oh, okay. Um, and so I had to go, and Chelsea may have seen, I had to go and buy the binder, because I haven't even gotten to that point yet, and bought the emergency binder. And I'm like, we're doing this now, apparently. Um, but it's great, because it's people in the community who are kind of nudge along, and sometimes they do it you know, Airman Milldollar did it because she wanted to get the binder done. So she's taking us all with her to get that accountability as well as to give it. And so now we're all working on getting our in case of emergency binders set up, whereas none of us were working on it a week ago. I'm so happy. We're all kind of talking about giving ourselves some grace with not getting as much done. But there's actually someone that I follow. She's the CEO of the Riveter in Seattle, Amy Nelson. And she's saying that kind of the rhetoric around self-care and like women need to be okay with slowing down are actually, it's actually like holding women back. And instead we should be cheering each other on and saying like, you can do it. I know it feels like you're going to break, but like you got this, like you can take on more because saying to each other like, oh, like, you know, it's okay to slow down, have some grace with yourself is actually preventing women from achieving more. So I thought this was kind of a interesting perspective or you know you can take what you want from it but kind of food for thought i like when that rhetoric comes around your house doesn't have to be perfect you don't have to never turn the tv on for your kids you can take some space to to do a side hustle or to do something that matters for you when it comes in a frame of like you have to do all the things all the time i don't think that's necessarily as helpful but i do agree that encouraging each other in our careers, especially at a point in our lives when we are busy and it feels like the only answer is to kind of pull back. I do think that's positive. I think it also depends on the person. I am not somebody who needs encouragement to do more things. You know, I, on this last trip, I actually watched part of a season of Outlander, which is season three. So if anyone is keeping up on that, I am like one or two seasons behind. And it's the first, like, series of show I've watched in, like, two years. And then we got home and I still haven't finished it. So, like, I take almost zero time to just sit down and relax. So it depends on where you're at and who you are. But for me, the, you know, no, your house doesn't need to be clean. Yes, you can let your kid, like, wander off and bang on a pizza box while you're trying to record a podcast um, (laughs) is okay. Um, but I, I do love Amy from the Riveter and I, I love what she has to say. And I think, I think there's a lot to be said about, you know, encouraging ourselves to really get things done and be productive and, and not feel the guilt that, especially if you're working, that that doesn't mean that outside of work, the only other thing you can do is be mom to your kids, that you're allowed to have other pieces of your life at the same time. So I'm curious, guys, there's a lot of people in our community that come to us and say they don't have anyone to talk to, right? They love being around and and being in our Facebook group, but they don't feel like their friends or their family members are willing to have that conversation and they don't even know how to start it, right? Like where to to broach the subject. Do you guys have any advice for them on on getting started and finding the people in your life that will cheer you on? To be honest, there was 
practically no one I could talk about money with until I joined this community in an active way. Um, the like online personal finance community since then. And since my blog and I'm not anonymous at all. So people in my like in person life know that I blog about money and write about it. And I've since had friends come and talk to me about money stuff, but it first came from them being able to read my stuff online without judgment, without me trying to bring it up to them. Um, so since then, I've been able to have some conversations, but really free blog, I really didn't have anybody to talk about money stuff with. I felt very exposed having money conversations with friends and family early on. And honestly, I still don't really like it because I, I think our friendship is separate from financial stuff, although I'm happy to talk about it. So for me, it was more about finding a community in person, and I did it through Facebook groups or going to conferences. Now, if you have never done this, it's going to seem scary and intimidating, and you'll show up at an event and like, I don't know who to talk to. I don't know where to go. Like, what do I do? But after you get over that first one and you meet your first friend in a community similar to one that you want to be a part of, it just all snowballs. And that's how all of us know each other here. And it seems totally normal that we're hanging out with each other right now. But if you remember the back to the very beginning, it was like really scary and intimidating to form these relationships, but worth it. Yeah, Julie and I actually first met at a Choose FI meetup um, almost two years ago. It was my very first in-person meetup. So yeah, he and I met then. I'd you know, known she existed from Fire Drill and that, but um, it was totally different to get to meet in person and get to be friends that way. Yeah, I've I've had a very similar experience with all of that. And it was very awkward to start going to meetups. I actually went once I drove to a meetup and I couldn't find parking and I just freaked out and left. Um, <laughs> so like, don't feel like we're some ultra brave people who are different than you. Oh, they're brave enough to go to a personal finance meetup. Nope. I once uh, was, you know, thwarted by could not find an easy parking space. And then I was like, ah, no, I can't do this. I'll just go home. So it, it can be tough at first, and it can also be tough if you're in an area where maybe getting to meetups and stuff is just not going to be possible or easy. Like I said, I was in a rural area when I started my blog, and I didn't go to a single meetup until years later when I moved to just outside of Washington, D.C., because they're just weren't enough people in person. So anything I was talking about in person was with my existing friends or family. And that can be really tough. But because my friend sort of opened the door by sending me a link to a blog, that really made it possible for the two of us to talk about money pretty openly from then on out. And slowly, as I did write and share things with people, people would become comfortable with coming to me to talk about things. And so it can be that you just need to take the first step. And if you can do it in kind of a neutral way of like, sending someone a link to a blog post and not being like, you should do this because that does not go over well. Um, but instead being like, hey, I was just reading this and I thought it was interesting and I wanted to know, like, do you know anything about this or have you ever heard of this? Like, what do you think can really open up a door? You know, people like to be asked for their opinion. I'll say that. Like, people love to give their opinion and if you can 
sort of open the door that way with the people in your life, it can really be a non-confrontational way to do it because a lot of times money conversations, even though they're not meant to be, feel confrontational. I think that that's so funny about sending the blog post because my experience has been as soon as you crack the door with a lot of people, they want to talk about money. They just they also feel like they can't do it. And I've said before, like I have my smart money mama's sweatshirt and my mama's talk money one. And I have been stopped in the grocery store and like asked what it's about. And then people tell me their life stories. And it's like it's like they just really want to talk about it. So I think broaching it. And if you are in a rural area, Facebook groups can be such a cool thing. Like the friendships that we've seen form, you know, in, our group is much smaller than the women's. What is the name of the group now, guys? Women's it's, Personal Finance. Women on women Fire. Finance. Keep yeah. calling it Women on Fire. Yeah. Women's Personal Finance. If you just look up that, it's like the first thing that pops up on Facebook. So. But there's opportunities there, right, where we've seen pe- women come in and c- comment that they'd love an accountability buddy to talk about their debt journey or something. And you can find someone else on there. And whether it's text or Voxer or whatever, there's really way- great ways to connect. And we've actually had a couple of in-person meetups um, in Seattle and now in Boston. You know, women being like Seattle, obviously, because that's where I live. Um, so I've organized a couple of them. But uh, then Jessica with the Pioneers set up a Boston meetup. And so they've actually done a meetup and I think there's going to be one in New York city. I can't remember. Um, but there are a couple of, uh, like local meetups happening, which is, I think really cool because the group is so large at this point that if you're in any kind of like semi medium, large city, there's going to be at least a couple of other women that live in your area. And when you see invites for those things, remember that Stephanie was nervous to show up, that even the p- people that are hosting it are nervous to show up because what, is anyone going to come? <laughs> is anyone going to talk to each other? It's completely fine to just show up with no expectations or no expertise around money um, and just meet some other people. All right, guys. So before we wrap here, and I'm going to ask you guys to share where to find you, I want to do our version of a hot seat. So you guys all know that I'm a massive Harry Potter nerd. So our version of the hot seat is the Hogwarts sorting hat, where we are going to pull a question out to reveal something about you. So we're going to have you all do the same question today. Are you guys ready? Yep. All right. So today's question is, what is one thing you want your kids to learn about money? And it doesn't define who you are. That, you know, like I said, I grew up in a stable, you know, family where finances were not a concern. But that did not mean that my family was better than anyone else's that um, was not in a great financial situation. And I think in some ways, when I was younger, I noticed when somebody had the extra small house or the extra, you know, whatever, we didn't have like the fanciest car or anything, but we had a safe, durable, whatever. Um, and, you know, it's taken me a little bit, you know, as I grew up, the realization that just because someone is struggling financially does not um, have any reflection on who they are as people. That's great. I think I would like uh, my kid to learn, you know, that money is a tool. And I think, like any tool, it can be very, very helpful, um, but there are also are downsides and ways that you can hurt yourself. And so you have to sort of treat it with the respect that you would treat like a sharp saw. People always use a hammer as the analogy for for money, but I don't know. I, I think of it as 
having sort of that sharp edge of like, this is very useful and it can do a lot for you. But, you know, things like and, and all the things that go with money, you know, credit cards and debt and even just money itself can really have a big impact, positive or negative. And to really think of it as a tool and to treat it the way you would and also to take care of it the way you would a tool, you know, a tool over time is going to require sharpening or whatever. And your money is going to take constant care over the years in order to keep being a useful tool for you. Awesome. I like the I like the saw. I know. It's like I don't want to call it a hammer. <laughs> I think for me, I want my kid to know that confidence will bring you money and sometimes the hardest things and pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone will give you what you need to bring in money even when you feel like you're stuck. So I learned this lesson. I sell temporary tattoos on Etsy. It's something I started a few years ago. I decided that I was going to push myself to sell them in person because I had a feminist line and the women's march was coming through Seattle and I decided I'm going to go. And it may seem like I'm a confident person because I do all these things, but actually I wanted to throw up on the whole car ride over to this thing. And I'm like, what if no one buys them? What if I put up my little makeshift sign and it stinks and no one wants them and it's embarrassing. And what if no one, like I have the wrong price. It was awful, but people actually bought them from me. And I gave out cards to my podcast as we were going through these conversations. And this girl listened to my podcast after getting the card and she ended up paying off like $55,000 of debt and this like whole thing, Whoa. she told me a year later, she like DM'd me and was like, hey, I got a card at a women's march and, you know, whatever. So this is my long way of saying that if I didn't like force myself to go through that experience of putting myself out there, like being totally embarrassed outside of my comfort zone, this never would have happened. I never would have impacted one other person. So I would want her to know like the confidence and the strength to be uncomfortable and see what that brings her. That is such a cool story. And I would also be super nervous about selling anything in person um, or really selling things in general. I'm still not very good at it. Well, you should sling hot dogs for seven years and then you'll not really care about selling things to people in person. People love hot like, dogs. Well, you were slinging hot dogs. I was uh, working on a tobacco farm, so I had very different experiences oh, wow. about teenage work. But but ladies, thank you so much for joining us today. Julie, Stephanie, and Angela, when she gets back, um, where can people find you and check in on your own progress in your own communities? You can best find me on Twitter if you can manage to spell Stephony. But if you head to my website, poorerthanyou.com, which is a lot easier to spell, though it is than with an A. But uh, if you head there, there's the links to all my social. But also women can always find me in the Women's Personal Finance Group. Um, that's Women's Personal Finance parentheses women on fire just to confuse you and uh, yeah Angela and I are in there pretty much way too much um, <laughs> but uh, you know we're there for questions or to connect with us and and both of us are also on Twitter way too much I'm going to speak for Angela first of all while we're waiting for her to get back but also just like you can always find Angela and I together <laughs> what about you Julie so if you are an Instagram person, you can follow me on Instagram, Millennial Boss, two L's and two N's in Millennial, or go to my website, firedrillpodcast.com, and there you can get the link to my blog and my podcast where I interview people who have retired early or achieved financial independence, whatever that means to them. 
Awesome. And Angela, it's definitely kind of answered for you, but where can people find you online? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, um, I blog over at Fred Lightly Retire Early and you can find me, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and then um, on Women's Personal Finance on Facebook. That's pretty much the only reason I'm still on that uh, social media platform, I think, at this point. Well, that group has gotten quite large. It would be hard for you to leave. Well, and it's pretty fabulous, too. It's it's not just the size, but it's a really welcoming, positive space. So um, it's a really encouraging place to be. Absolutely. Well, Mamas, we'll have links to everybody's blogs and Facebook groups in the show notes for this episode. And guys, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having us. Wow, Mamas, I hope you felt connected and seen in what Angela, Stephanie, and Julie had to share today. I find it so fascinating how the internet allows people from such different backgrounds to connect with each other, create friendships, and support each other in their goals. Community is important, and for those of us who don't feel like we have positive influences in our lives, sticking to new habits is extremely hard. But you can find the community you need, even if it's virtual. Before we go, I want to share three of my favorite takeaways from today's talk. First, don't be afraid to speak up. Maybe that looks like sending a podcast episode or blog post to a friend. Maybe it's commenting on your favorite blog or posting in a Facebook group you've been lurking in. Your people are out there and they want to connect with you. If you think you'd benefit from a supportive, money-savvy friend in your life, reach out and find one. Second, the money lessons we learned in childhood can change. For most of us, our parents didn't talk about money. The relationships we created with money were driven by how our young brains chose to process what was happening around us, how our parents talked about money and wealth, how we felt seeing other kids having more or less than us. Those stories are deep, but they can be changed. Sometimes it just takes questioning the validity of where they came from and giving ourselves the space to develop money beliefs that serve us better. At Smart Money Mamas, our mini course this month, Creating a Wealthy Money Mindset, focuses on helping you bring your money stories, the good and the bad, into the light so you can address them, so you can find the contradictions that live in your limiting beliefs, forgive and learn from your past, and move forward toward a thriving financial life, whatever that means for you. If you're interested in diving deep and improving your money mindset, definitely check out the link to the course in today's show notes. But whether you choose to be guided through the process or not, you're an adult, a strong mama. You get to decide what you believe about money and your own power. And finally, it's okay to appreciate the seasons of life. The goals you set in your early 20s might be delayed or even set aside. The career you thought you loved might need a complete upheaval after having kids. Or maybe you'll want to lean in like never before. And at some point in your life, you may have to take a step back to pivot towards something better down the line. Mama, you can achieve anything you set your mind to, but you don't have to do all the things all the time. And this is where finding a good community of mom friends can help you with not only your financial goals, but all your life goals. Someone to tell you it's okay to let your kid play Pokemon Go while you record a podcast or take a moment to yourself. To remind you that you're still an incredible parent if you take that amazing business opportunity and to remind you to enjoy it while you're there. But most of all, to let you know that we're all chasing that elusive and kind of crazy idea of balance, screwing up, and generally feeling like we're doing it all wrong, and that we should give ourselves a little grace. If we just accept that perfection is a mirage and commit to moving a little closer to our goals every day, we'll get there. Mamas, I want to thank Julie, Stephanie, and Angela again for joining me on the show and our sponsor, Debt.com, for making this episode possible. If you're looking for your money community, I hope you'll join us in the Mamas Talk Money Facebook group or follow along on Instagram. 
If you'd like to see the full show notes for this episode, connect with our guests, or download your free copy of our Healthy Money Mantras worksheets, visit smartmoneymamas.com forward slash three. As always, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Smart Money Mama Show and being an amazing member of our community. Keep talking money, mamas. I'll see you next week.